Hey, you're listening to Rocks, God, the world, and other things. My name's Kenny Price. I'm your host. Our mission, advancing equilibrium in the midst of an agitated world. We definitely live in the midst of an agitated world. And from everything I can see, also listening to the experts, I think that things will get more agitated before perhaps we come to peace. And with that being said, I want to share with you something that I came across while helping my next door neighbor pack up for a move. She was a widow woman living by herself, decided to sell her home of 50 plus years, I believe the date was, and was selling out to move into a senior living center. So, of course, from all of that time of living, I volunteered to help my next-door neighbor with cleaning up the house, packing things up. In her husband's former office, we were going through a lot of debris, a lot of paperwork. At one point, she was to the point of just saying, why don't we just throw it all in the trash? But I encouraged her to not do that because you never know what important documents may be in the pile of what appears to be trash. As we went through the documents, I came across two sheets of paper written on yellow legal paper. It said, to whom it may concern, it has been brought to my attention that, underscored, my language is not up to par with the household and the next door neighbor. So I, comma, on this Valentine's Day, solve the problem, dash. I present to you my substitution list for you to follow. I know, underscored, you're interested in what I have to say, so when you have doubts as to what I said, refer to the sublist. It, of course, will be updated, and this is in quotation marks, as time goes by. Comma, wrote a song once named that, period. Please leave E, and that's in quotation marks, please leave E addresses with me. We must stay updated, exclamation point. Interesting note to whom it may concern. The next sheet that was folded up behind it is the sub list, and the word sub is in quotation marks. There are two columns on the sub list. The first column is their way. The second column, our way. Their way, shucks. Our way, and I'm going to have to spell this out because we choose not to have profanity on our podcast, of course, but unfortunately this letter contains several bits of profanity. So it says their way, shucks. Our way, S-H-I-T slash D-A-M, exclamation point, misspelling of the word D-A-M-N. Their way, well, I'll be darned. Our way, what the H-E-L-L question mark? Their way, so, question mark, our way. Who gives a S-H-I-T question mark? Their way, mercy, 
our way, get effed, F dash 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 ED exclamation point. Their way, it's the Lord's way, and the word Lord is L dash 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 S way. It's the Lord's way. And next to it, something written at a later time in a different colored ink is a word that's basically indecipherable. It looks like the person wrote a cleanin, C-L-E-A-N-U-N, kind of like a clean one. Obviously making a derogatory statement about the Lord or about us, the Lord's way. The person then wrote our way, why? Question mark, why? Question mark, why? Question mark. Their way, are you sure? Question mark. Our way, you dumb S-H-I-T, exclamation point. Their way, well, turn the other cheek. Our way, well, kiss my A-double-S, exclamation point. Of course, when I came across this handwritten note from the man who lived in the house there, the deceased husband of the woman I was helping pack, me being the neighbor next door to whom this letter was written, uh, I find it quite disturbing. The question I have reading the note immediately is, who are they referring to in the term our? Who is our? As they wrote this note, it had some sort of a collective sense of an embodiment of people behind them who feel the same way. Now, something that adds a twist to this note is the fact that my next-door neighbor was my father. The full story is that I was next door helping my mother pack up my father's belongings in preparation for her to move, and in doing so, going through what appeared to be basically trash, was a note that he had handwritten sometime in the past, obviously around Valentine's Day. But this attitude of we... And this attitude of, I'm in the moment, a very existentialist type of an adult. I live for now. This is what I'm concerned about. I'm going to just keep on keeping on. And so he had a very resistance, a very strong resistance to the gospel of Jesus Christ and saw no need for it. Now, you might say, well, Kenny, did it upset you? Did it cause you to cry? Did it cause you to hate your father? And the answer to that is no. The answer to that is no, because you see, if you read the scripture, Jesus himself said it would be this way. We have got to expect persecution. We have got to expect turmoil. We have got to expect people to take us, to stand us up, and to seek to tear us down, because our Lord and Savior, if you know Jesus, he said it would be this way, and he tells us why it's this way. In The book of Matthew, chapter 10 and following, Jesus said, Look, I'm sending you out like sheep among wolves. Therefore, be shrewd as serpents and as innocent as doves. Be aware of them because they will hand you over to local courts and flog you in the synagogues. In their synagogues, you will even be brought before governors and kings because of me to bear witness to them and to the Gentiles. On down, he says, Brothers will betray brother." to death, and a father his child. Children will rise up against parents and have them put to death. 
You will be hated by everyone because of my name. But the one who endures to the end will be saved. There in the second part of verse 25, it says, If they called the head of the house Beelzebub, how much more the members of his household? Matthew 10, verse 34, he says, Don't assume that I came to bring peace on the earth. I did not come to bring peace, but a sword. For I came to turn a, a man against his father, a daughter against her mother, a daughter-in-law against her mother-in-law, and a man's enemies will be the members of his household. The one who loves a father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. The one who loves a son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever doesn't take up his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Anyone who finds his life will lose it, and anyone who loses his life because of me will find it. Folks, Jesus has already given us a heads up. 2,000 years ago, he gave us a heads up that if you live for Jesus, if you do more than just claim the name of Christ, but you emulate, you model the life of Christ, and you back it up with your testimony, with your words, then the children who walk in darkness hate the light. They hate Jesus. Jesus said they'll hate you, and the division can come as deep as your very household, people that you are blood kin to, as we understand what Christ is saying. We should have compassion for those who are lost and understand that our existence is convicting to them because the Bible says, Jesus himself said that you are the salt of the earth. You are the light of the world. And so when we walk into the middle of any situation, when we go to the Thanksgiving dinner where all of the family is present, when we go to the Christmas gathering and we move from house to house, our very existence is an indictment on those who are walking in darkness. It causes conviction in their hearts, even if we're not saying anything specifically about their lifestyle or their personal sins. It can't be helped. Why? Because the Spirit of the Holy God is in us, He's on us, and He's through us. We're dealing with people that are lost, and we should not be shocked if we find out at some point, I hope perhaps it never comes to this for you, but perhaps you're in a family gathering, and it finally just spills over, and horrible things are said, meant to hurt, hurt you, harm you, damage your, your mind, your psyche. I want to say to you, dear friend, don't let it cause you mental anguish. You should be encouraged because Jesus said it would be this way. And when the world treats you this way, they're treating you this way because that's how they treated our Lord and Savior, our Master. So going on in the Scripture, in John chapter 15, he says, starting there in verse 18, he said, if the world hates you, understand that it hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. Have you noticed right now, folks, that how all of these different groups that are really different factions and, and rebellions, they're all coming together as one? And the only people who are odd man out are those who are Christians who follow Jesus, those who believe in peace and, and tranquility, that we're the bad guys. He goes on, he says, however, because you are not of the world, but I have chosen you out of it, the world hates you. The truth of the matter is, 
when we come to Christ, he gives us a new life. He transforms us. He brings life out of death. The Bible says that in our natural estate, we're dead in trespasses and sin. We're walking dead people. Our spirits are dead. And yet when Jesus calls you out of death into life and you respond, that you enter into a whole new realm into his heavenly kingdom, even though you don't see it with your eyes yet. And so he says, however, because you're not of the world, that's what he means by that, but I have chosen you out of the world, the world hates you. You see, folks, as a Christian, you're operating in a new realm. You're not at home in the world anymore. We're still here. We love this land. We love this earth because we're children of the earth to begin with, but this is not our eternal resting place. This is not our destiny. Remember the word I spoke to you. A servant is not greater than his master. If they persecuted me, they will also persecute you. If they kept my word, they will also keep yours. But they will do all these things to you on account of my name, because they don't know the one who sent me. If I had not come and spoken to them, they would not be guilty of sin. You see, when the word, the living word of God comes, it causes the light to be turned on and the sins of darkness to be exposed. As a kid growing up, being taken to the bars by my father, who was a lost person at that time, one thing I noticed, there are never any windows in a bar. So when you enter into a bar, if it's 12 noon and you're on your lunch break from the local aerospace manufacturer where my uncle used to work, who was not a Christian at the time, they would go on their lunch break to the bar and drink. So they go in at noon, windows don't exist. So in a bar, it's always night. The Bible talks about that the deeds of darkness, the deeds of sin, they're done in the hidden places, secret places at night. Most of the murders occur at night. Most of the crime occurs at night. Why? That's when the deeds of darkness take place. So you see, Jesus said it would be this way, that they hate me. Why? Because when Jesus showed up, the guilt was turned on and they were made aware of their sin. Now they have no excuse for their sin. John 15, 23, the one who hates me also hates my father. If I had not done the works among them that no one else has done, they would not be guilty of sin. Now they have seen and hated both me and my father. But this happened so that the statement written in their law might be fulfilled. They hated me for no reason. So at the end of the day, the topic of discussion in the secular public realm is really coming down as one of the cardinals from the Catholic Church rightly has proclaimed that what we are in the midst of is a, a battle, a struggle between good and evil against righteousness and sin. And it is really coming down to breaking along those basic lines. So we see the turmoil. We see the hate. We see the agitation. Someone I've been listening to a lot lately, Phil Robertson from the Duck Dynasty group. Phil's 74 years old now and a man filled with wisdom. Like I said, you may not care for duck hunting. I've never hunted ducks in my life. And I care not to hunt ducks. So I don't listen to Phil Robertson because of his sporting background, though I have some of that in my past. I love the outdoors, but he is a man of wisdom. He's talking clearly right now about the fact of what is going on. 
he made the statement that he said, you only have to look at the words that the people are writing on the buildings to say, I want no part of them. When you see the F-bombs written all over the buildings, he said, that tells you, he said, they're writing a story. He said, they're telling you their story. He said, just look at what's coming out of their heart. Hate. Hate. He's on a recent podcast from his show on, on The Blaze, which is a Glenn Beck broadcast, but he has a, another show on there, and he summarized it in three simple things. He said, you take a nation that destroys the Constitution, removes police, destroys the Constitution, and removes police, and take God out of the equation, he said, you have hell on earth. And you got to say to yourself, Kenny, what's that got to do with this note? The people that say our way are those who hate God. Why do they hate Jesus and the one who sent him? Because when Jesus came, he turned on the light regarding the fallenness of us all, the fallenness of us all, the sin into which we are born, the proclivity at the earliest possible age to make a choice to do it our way rather than God's way. And so therefore, the world hates us. The world hates law and order. The world hates anything that ultimately tracks back to a divine, holy creator God. It's very interesting to see that at the very end of the age, when God is pouring out all of his his wrath on the ungodly, the apostle John makes it clear that the people will not stop their immorality, they will not stop their sorcery, they will not stop their fornication, their adultery. In other words, all of these hideous sins are going to continue to be acted out by people who are bent and who hate God, even as these atrocities are being poured out upon them by the divine, holy, pure God. Can you imagine someone so bent on their sin that as the hundred-pound hailstones, the Bible says in the book of Revelation, that in the end, that one of the the judgments that will fall is literally 100-pound hailstones falling from the heavens and destroying people, but yet at the same time, they're not going to be able to die. It says that they're going to go to the rocks and to the mountains and to cry out for them to fall on them and crush them, but they won't be able to die. The hideous creatures that are poured out from the abyss, sort of like locusts, but when you look at how they're constructed, they're this hideous being, but the sting of a scorpion that makes people want to die, but they can't. And yet in the midst of it, their hate towards God, it says that they're going to rail at God. They're going to know at that moment, these things are happening because of your sin. And even in the midst of that, terrible, terrible time, they are not going to repent, but instead they are going to rail against the holy God. And so we just got to expect it, folks, that if we're living for Jesus, there are going to be some people who don't like you. If you're living for Jesus, you're going, you're going to have some family relationships that just aren't going to work. And at times, raised up in our American guilt, We carry a load and we think, perhaps I'm the one that's done something. Perhaps I need to go on bended knee and seek to make this relationship right. 
When in fact, if it's because of your life in Christ that there is this division and that there is this turmoil and there is this tension and hate, there's nothing you can do to change that. Instead, you need to rejoice that you know Jesus as your Savior. And like I said, don't develop an attitude of hate towards those who feel the way they do about you. Their behavior and their attitudes are are to be expected because they don't know Christ. They don't know God. And yet, I want to encourage you, and I'll finish on this note, and I'll say a whole lot more about my father's life later. I'm in the middle of praying and working mentally through his life. He led a very complex life. It's an amazing story of rescue at the very last moment. And there's so much to be said about that. But I will say this, that for all of my father's attitude, his opinion towards me as his own son, his rejection of Christ all those years, and all of those terrible things that he did, as a husband, as a father, as a friend, and without shame that God in his grace and his mercy two weeks before my father passed away at the age of 78, my father finally said yes to Jesus. And he said yes sincerely. And I believe I've shared a little bit about that in a previous podcast. But clearly in the final two weeks of his life, he gave every demonstration, not something that he was generating because he was very very sick, but things that were just exuding from his life because, in fact, he had been born again. He had passed from darkness into light. He had become a child of God. And so I want to encourage you, if you're working with somebody at, at your job who is belligerent, it's a, it's a hard thing to be a devout Serious Christian in a work environment where your boss is very much antichrist. And I can tell you, I know for a fact, because I've personally experienced it, that discrimination does go on, abuse does go on. When people are in authority over you and they hate God, that they will mistreat you. But normally, if they're in a position of authority like that, they're pretty astute at being able to do it in such ways that it's hard to document so that you can bring it up to HR and to uh, the powers that be. And so normally the abuse continues, and it's heartbreaking. But at the same time, keep in mind that as you live for Christ and your willingness to love when you're hated and your, your willingness to be at peace when you're being given turmoil, it may be the very keys that unlock the door to that person's heart that allows them to come to Christ and be saved. Make no mistake about it. It's something that they have to do. It's something that they have to personally submit to. But I can guarantee you this, if you rise up in hatefulness, cop an attitude, they're not going to come to Jesus. They're looking for a reason to stay in their sin. They like their sin or they would abandon it. But yet if you will continue to show Christ, continue to manifest the fruit of the Spirit, and to love them, and to be kind to them, and to be patient, and to be humble, that you just never know that you actually may permeate that hardened surface and see that person come to know Jesus as their personal Lord and Savior. So I want to encourage you, as dark as it may seem sometime, perhaps you're a a person married to somebody 
who is not a Christian. This is happening more and more. Either people that come to Christ after they were married and they say yes to Jesus, but the spouse will not turn. Sometimes it ends up in divorce because the lost person doesn't want to be involved in that type of a marriage. Things have changed. But also sometimes a person finally says yes. I had the opportunity to see a woman who was lost, had, I don't know really what the problem was, but had problems with God, had problems with male authority. Her husband was a member of our church, brought his children faithfully to the worship service every Sunday, but yet the wife would not come. Finally, one day I asked the individual, we were becoming closer and closer friends, I asked him if perhaps I would ha could have an opportunity to talk to his wife about Jesus, and he said, sure. So he set up a time for me to come by. I still remember the night, and she graciously allowed me to share with her how a person can know for certain that if they were to die today, they would go to heaven. And I asked her, I said, does this make sense to you? And she said, yes. I asked her if she would like to pray and ask Jesus to forgive her of her sin and to give her new life that lasts forever. And she said, I'm sorry, I can't do that right now. And had a smile on her face. I asked her why. Why couldn't she do that right now? She said, I'm just not ready. So at that point, I asked her, could we just begin to develop a friendship because your husband and I get along very well. I need other male friends that are have similar interests. Would you be open to that? And she said, sure. So we began to develop a friendship with the man who was the church member and his wife, and we became very good friends. Down the road, she began to come to the worship services once in a while. One day after church, we all agreed to go eat at a restaurant there in Arlington, Texas, called Mercado Juarez, really great place back in the day. We were in, it was a large restaurant. We were there and took a couple tables. I remember she said, I want to ask you a question, that if I were to become a Christian, and she had some questions, and I called her by name, I said, are you interested or thinking about becoming a Christian? And she smiled. She wasn't upset, but she said, I knew that the moment I told you, you were going to press me about that. And I said, no, I, I'm not pressing you. I'm just excited with the fact that you're even entertaining the thought. And so I answered her questions. Eventually, she said yes to Jesus, and I baptized her and one of her daughters in their swimming pool. So I want to finish this story with the fact that as difficult as your situation may be, as dark as this world gets, first of all, as a believer in Jesus Christ, if you're a Christian and listening to this podcast, you have the hope of eternal life and you have the love of the Father that protects you, guides you, and leads you. So regardless of how dark this time may get right now in our world and especially in our nation, we have that to hang on to. We're winners. We're going to make it through this time one way or the other victorious. We have that guarantee. But in the midst of it, we have to keep in mind that as things are more and more well-defined, there is going to grow an animosity towards you if you're a Christian. Don't be shocked. Expect it. Jesus said it would be this way. 
But I want to encourage you that as you stand your ground and as you live faithfully for Jesus Christ, there is a very real possibility that others in your sphere of influence who presently don't know Jesus will finally say yes, and they will pass from death into life, and that the moment they draw their last breath here on this earth, they are very much alive in the presence of God Almighty in his heaven. And dear friends, that is worth everything. The Bible says, what can a man give in exchange for his soul? Think about that. What can a man give in exchange for his soul? It is an irreplaceable thing. If you have your life, you have everything. If you don't have your life, you have nothing. So be encouraged. These are hard times. I I just know in my spirit there are thousands and millions of people across our country right now wondering what is going to happen to us. Are we getting ready to go into a physical revolution? Talking to a doctor here in town, he just very clearly said it may come to that. It appears it may be coming to that. Others are feeling the same way. All of the intellectuals will tell you right now that we are in the midst already of a civil war. Shots have not been fired in the sense of a battle, but we are in the midst of a civil war. The ideologies that are at odds cannot be reconciled with one another. And in other words, the lifestyles of those who are a part of these factions who are causing violence and destruction, they are irreconcilable in themselves to the tenets of a holy God as defined and outlined in the Christian Bible. It is an impossibility. So someone is going to have to move and break rank. Either those who call on the rule of law as defined through God's holy word and that's manifested through the Constitution of the United States, or you're going to call for the repeal of the constitutional law, which is based on Judeo-Christian ethics made known by the Holy God, as our founding fathers said. So at the end of the day, hard times, going to probably get harder before it gets better, but the bottom line is through the midst of it, you and I, if we know Jesus, we have peace that passes understanding, And we have the beautiful opportunity to impact the lives of others, to hopefully see them change, and to enter into an eternity with God. My friend, I bid you peace. Know that Jesus is here. He is in control. His way is being carried out. Regardless of what it appears, think on these things. In Jesus' name, I ask this as a prayer. God, drive it home to our hearts for us to know that you've got this thing, that this is still your world.